Jiggy Jaguar radio program. Raw and uncut, Jiggy Jag, you know how you do it. You know what I'm saying? Keeping it all the way live. Broadcasting live from Hutchinson, Kansas. Well, I'm sitting here with a linguist. I had a linguist. no idea. <laughs> I love I didn't that. know you were a term, but I didn't know that you were a wordsmith. <laughs> Call Jiggy right now. 267 22 Jiggy. Daddy hey, Jiggy, what's happening, man? You must be that uh, David Bowie song. Jiggy play guitar. It's a great name, man. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Presenting. I'm, I'm Mike Massey, and uh, you know, you can catch me on Jiggy Jag TV and uh, see a few of my tricks up there. Thank you very much. Jiggy Jaguar. I never knew what freedom was until I saw you lose yours. Welcome to it. It's the world. We are live coast to coast and border to border on iHeartRadio today. Also, AMFM247.com. Tune in iTunes. You can find on demand archived audio available via TalkShoe and iHeartRadio. And our app is available in both the app stores, iPod, and uh, Google Play, as they say. 50-plus AM FM stations across the country and around the world. Get a hold of us online at J-I-G-G-Y-J-G-U-A-R-D-I-Z-I-Z-I-Z-I-Z-I-Z-I-Z-I-Z-I-Z-I-Z-I-Z-I-Z-I-Z-I-Z-I-Z-I-Z-I-
spiritual adventure story. And if it's 1% as exciting to read as it was to live, then I've succeeded. Second, I want to bring the supernatural back into the spiritual conversation. Um, you know, as opposed to just either superstition or, or um, the, the banality of just, um, you know, all religions allowed to be is about being nice to each other. There's all kinds of supernatural stuff that happened to me during my life. And as I say, I want to be a, a, a credible witness for the incredible. And so I write about that because I want to inspire people. There is a supernatural meaning to life, but you have to go looking for it. And then third, I said, we're living in a dystopic time where everybody is miserable. You know, <laughs> just came out. The CDC just said 57% of all teenage girls are report being constantly sad. 30% have considered suicide seriously. Um, boys are living in their parents' basements until they're 50 years old. You know, boys, young men are shooting up schools. I mean, um, 40% of incoming freshmen at our elite universities are already taking antidepressants. Um, so this is a, you know, the term for this overall malaise is called anomie. And I say it's a spiritual crisis. We have a lack of higher meaning and purpose. And so I said I battled depression, and one of the reasons I got on a spiritual quest um, was looking for an antidote to my depression. And uh, I was looking for the miraculous on the aspirational side, and I was trying to overcome depression on the desperation side. And so I hope that my, uh, I said in some small way, my book will help other people who are struggling with anomie and a lack of meaning and purpose and what's life all about and, you know, why bother types of feelings I see so much in people, you know. I mean, and I just had a close friend's daughter, um, they had a suicide helpline at her high school, and uh, some boy called the high, uh, suicide helpline and said she was, she was suicidal, so her mother went to a beautiful 15-year-old girl and said, well, is it true, Lily? And Lily said, yes. And she just said, why? And she said, what's it to live for? Good and Lord. so we have, I was playing um, golf with a, uh, with a uh, some doctors, and this one was a pediatrician. I was talking about this, and he said, tell me about it. He said, I became a pediatrician to help kids. Now all I seem to do is deal with an unending stream of parents who want me to medicate their kids for depression and anxiety. There's something rotten in Denmark, and um, and I call it a spiritual crisis. We have got August Turok with us today. He's the author of a brand new book, Not Less Than Everything: One's Man, One Man's Quest for Spiritual Enlightenment. He joins us today here on our big, big broadcast. So this book, incredibly well written. Talk to me a little bit about your writing process. Ah, that's a you know. Um, what I did is one of the things that I believe in is being – I dedicated the book to teachers. My parents were both teachers, and I said they gave me – instilled in me a tremendous um, respect for um, education for teachers. And so I went looking for all kinds of teachers, and I always looked – I have a personal trainer, for example. And, um, and I, I hired a writing coach to help me with this book three and a half years ago, a man that I had helped me to be – to put the um, – my first book is called Business Secrets of the Trappist Monks, and he helped me do the book proposal for that. He worked, he worked for my agent. I never met the man. His name is Alex Schnitzler. I'll give a plug for him. And I contacted him, and he started helping me. And, uh, uh, and so he was just ruthless. You know, Every time I wrote a chapter, I'd send it to him, and he'd tear it to pieces and send it back. And I'd fix it and send it to him, and he'd tear it to pieces. And, um, and, but I, but I, I believe I, I wrote an article for Forbes saying, Are You Coachable? The Five Steps to Coachability. 
And I, I find that in my own work, the vast majority of Americans are just not coachable. And I pride myself that I am coachable. So that my, I think it is well-written, frankly. Um, and it, but I, a lot of it goes to say that I, that I listen to my coaches. I listen to people. and uh, I, I try to be humble. And, uh, and, uh, and I'm also have a, uh, uh, you know, I take criticism. You know, I take the criticism to heart. That's awesome. And, uh, and, 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 you know, and, and don't get all up in a huff and get my ego involved and all that stuff. I think <laughs> I, I owe a lot of it to, I owe a lot of it to Alex, Alex did a tremendous job as he didn't write a single word it's not ghost written at all but man he was uh, ruthless with the, the, the proverbial blue pencil is it a, i think they call it the blue pencil right hey i'll 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 tell you the uh the great jim ross was always quoted as saying the most powerful weapon in uh pro wrestling is the pencil and uh, the, most, <laughs> the most powerful weapon in the literary world is the blue pen. So we have got a fantastic guest with us today. August Turok is with us. He's the author of a brand new book, Not Less Than Everything. One Man's Quest for Spiritual Enlightenment. The book is absolutely amazing. He joins us today here on our big broadcast. Your background as a member of the original team that launched MTV and your successful career as a high-tech entrepreneur are quite different from the spiritual journey you document in your brand new book. Can you tell us what inspired you to embark on this quest for spiritual enlightenment? Well, you know, it's funny that Alex really helped me on that because in the very beginning when he first read some stuff that I had written, he said, he said to me, he said, well, there's a lot of great stories here, but he said, uh, he said, but it's me that this is not a book. <laughs> that was his first assessment. Said, That's awesome. He, <laughs> he just buries he said, it he said, first off. He said, I think we could turn it into a book. He said, so the first question I want to ask you is, why did you get on this spiritual path? And I said, oh, I really don't know. He said, you have to answer that. You absolutely have to answer that. So to me, there was two, two, there was like two different um, um, problems. I call it aspirational and desperational. And the desperational okay. part is I was already experiencing um, some depression and this sense of anomie, this sense of, is that it? You know, I've, I've been drunk. I've, I've, I've been with a girl. I've, 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 I've been to the ocean. I, you know, I, I, I had all the Twinkies I could eat one time. And, and what else is there to life? Is there anything else? And, um, and I had this sense that nothing kind of matters. And the other part of it is that, you know, I think I took LSD, I'll be honest. And LSD opened me eyes to the say, wait a second, what we think is real is just a facade. It's just the, uh, I tell a story of, in the very beginning of my book where the, the Vietnam vet is telling me, even though he had a, a terrible injuries in Vietnam, he wants to go back there. And he said, because he was alive there. And he ends up waving his beer can at the walls and he says, this is just phony cardboard BS. He said the vast majority of people are, people are dead and they don't even know it yet. That's um, awesome. And so I saw that. I saw through that. I realized there was like like uh, Herman Melville's Captain Ahab. He says this is, everything is a pasteboard mask and to strike through that. And then I came, I encountered some books at a very pivotal time. I was 19 years old, just turned 19, by Alan Watts. And he was talking about this thing called cosmic consciousness. You know, and, and Einstein said, no problem can be solved at the same level of consciousness at which it is posed. And to me, this cosmic consciousness or enlightenment or, or what the Christians call unio mystica or what the Hindus call samadhi or Zen calls satori, this is a 
higher level of consciousness that makes things um, that, that you need to look through that lens at the problems of, of life. You know, you can't solve you can't solve the problems. Of, if you have problems in a dream, the answer is to wake up. You can't solve them in the dream. You can only solve them by realizing that it was only a dream. And um, and so this, that really was the aspirate. And I just, the first time I, I read this book called This Is It, twice in one single night, that, there's, this is it. I mean, there's something to this. There is something to this cosmic consciousness stuff. And I want to I want to find it. I want to get there. And it became a, a passion, an absolute passion. And I thought it was the solution to my depression problems as well. And it turned out it was because I have this, the book comes to a cataclysmic spiritual experience I have in 1998. Uh, I got on this path in 72. In 1998, I finally have this cataclysmic spiritual experience. And after two years of intense depression, a total dark night of the soul, despair. And, uh, and from 1998 until this day today, James, I've never had a moment's depression, a moment's anxiety, just a constant unfolding of joy and peace, and most of all, gratitude. And I, and I highly recommend it, ladies and gentlemen. It's a wonderful way to live, but you've got to pay the price, you know, um, and, you, you, you know, you've got to really, it, it, it's a, you know, you only can achieve it through a, a, a spiritual experience. We have got August Turrock with us today. He joins us live here on our big program. Each and every day you can join us over there at JiggyJaguar.com. That's J-I-G-G-Y-J-H-E-U-A-R.com. On-demand archived audio, because we can't say the P word here. Um, you can get that at iHeartRadio or TalkShoe. And uh, August Turrock with us today. He is absolutely, absolutely amazing. So, in your book, in Not Less Than Everything, you describe a profound transformation in your life. Can you share some of the key moments or experiences that led to this transformation, and how did they shape your spiritual journey, my man? Well, you know, the first thing that happened was um, I was got really fascinated with Zen because of this book, as I mentioned, the, when I was 19 or 20. I started reading everything I could get my hands on about it. And then I heard about a talk that a Zen master was supposedly giving at the Theosophical Society of Pittsburgh. And I went down on a Sunday, and rather than finding this Oriental guy in a robe or anything, there was this West Virginia guy standing um, out on the, on, the, on the sidewalk. And um, I walked up to him, and I, I just had a sense. This was his lecture, even though he didn't look anything like what I expected. And I got there, and he was standing there with another man, a middle-aged, they're both middle-aged men. And I said to them, is this where the Zen lecture is going to be? And he says to me, um, uh, the, well, the taller guy says, yes. And the shorter guy, who I thought was the speaker, said, uh, you think this Zen guy can help you? And I said, I sure as hell hope so. And, I, and he, 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 he laughed out loud and he said, the name's Rose. His name is Richard Rose. He said. And he reached out and he touched my hand. And I had this jolt of energy. And... Uh, and from that very beginning, this man, uh, and so a year or so after that, I had this profound spiritual experience in his uh, kitchen. And um, he lived in Benwood, West Virginia with his family. There was nothing, you know, you know, exotic about his life at all. He was actually pretty much impoverished. He, he worked painting houses and things like that. But and he's all, all this is in my book, by the way. And, and I dropped, I was so... Uh, amazed at what happened to me in the kitchen. I dropped out of college, 
broke up with my girlfriend, became celibate, um, got myself an old van, learned how to lay carpet, um, and disappointed the hell out of my parents because I'd had this prep school education, et cetera, and started, you know, know, just dedicated myself completely to to a spiritual quest. Um, So I had this catalyst that really kicked me in the, in the, in the keister, so to speak, and really put me on the path. And, um, you know, but it took another 30 years um, for me to actually, uh, in 1998, is when I ended up, in, as I said, in the back cover of my book, that after all these adventures and all these different teachers and all this stuff that I went through, I ended up in a cheap hotel and motel in um, Baltimore, Maryland, um, you know, deeply depressed, fearing for my, for my sanity, and with nowhere else to turn, or so it seemed. And um, and instead, when I got hit, when I hit absolute bottom, I had this extremely profound spiritual experience that, <clears throat> as I said, has lasted now for almost twenty, well, almost twenty-five years, and kept me um, in a complete uh, peace and joy. You know, I mentioned in the in the um, coda or the epilogue to my book. And a lot of times when I'm being interviewed, they say, yeah, you know, I've won the Templeton Prize, I've got three books, I've, I sold companies, I, you know, there's all kinds of stuff that I've done. I was on the cover of magazines. Well, what's the greatest achievement of your life? And I said, tell the story that I was at the YMCA where I used to work out. I'd been going there for years. And one day I walked in, and there's always a basket to take towels. But this one day in all the years that I went to that gym, there was an older an old man standing there, and he handed me a towel. He was handing everybody, he handed me a towel, and when I grabbed it, he wouldn't let go of it, and he pulled me towards him, and then he yelled in my face, if you could be anywhere, doing anything, where would you be doing what, right now? And without a second's hesitation, I, I said, I'd be right here, right now, doing this. And as I walked on down towards the locker room, I started to cry. And I realized that that answer had come from the deepest part of me, and that whatever I am doing or wherever I am is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing, you know. And I, and I, there's nothing left to achieve. There's no, um, you know, you know, you know. It's just, it's just, you know, you know. There's an old. Um, I remember, you know, from the Bible it says, "Be, be still and know that I am God." And this woman, when I was studying theology, she changed it. She said, "Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am." Be still and know. Be still. Be. Just be. And that's the way I live now. And that's the greatest achievement. And that's what that man brought out in me when I just instantly said this, you know, I wouldn't be anywhere else in the world but doing this right now, just going to the gym. And, uh, and that's an amazing, amazing achievement. It's not an it's, it's achievement in my life. It's a gift grace and um and i really really uh, my life now is just dedicated to trying to help other people um reach what i you know follow in my footsteps you know have the same experience because there's so much unhappiness and there's so much misery um and uh and there is so much life is such a wonderful gift and there's there is a god ladies and gentlemen and there is a, a truth and there is a reality behind all this but you have to you have to develop the ability to see what um, you know what others what most people can't see. 
We've got a great guest with us today. He joins us live here on our big broadcast. August Turok is with us today. He has got an incredible, incredible new book, Not Less Than Everything. It is an absolutely amazing read, and he joins us today here on our big program. Your book explores the idea of, quote-unquote, servant leadership. Can you explain what this concept means to you and how it has played a role in your personal and professional life, my friend? Well, everything, you know, kind of everything's kind of backwards because, you know, the first two books that I wrote, Business Secrets of the Trappist Monks and Brother John, A Monk, Pilgrim, and the Purpose of Life, flowed out of the experiences. As a matter of fact, that, that, that I'm now listing in not less than everything. You know, as a matter of fact, um, in the introduction, I said that when I won the Templeton Prize on my first attempt, you know, my brother, my youngest brother is an attorney. He said a colleague of his said, you mean to tell me your brother, Augie, never wrote anything before for his life? He goes up against professional writers, 10,000 essays from 47 countries. He bangs on an essay in a weekend. He wins 100 grand. My brother said, yeah, that's the story. And he said, wow, is he lucky? And my brother Chris said, you don't understand. Augie's been working on an essay for 35 years. And I, in the introduction of Not Less Than Everything, I said, this is the story of those 35 years. So what did I learn, which I applied to business in the not less, in the, my first book, Business Secrets of the Trappist Monks, that the, that you know it's in your self-interest to forget your self-interest. The more successfully you forget your your uh, your, your selfish interests, the more successful you'll become. And I keep pointing out, you know, the, what is the job of a leader, for example? Most people selfishly want to be leaders so they can make more money, or they can impress girls, or they can. Um, whatever, and they spend most of their time thinking, how can I get promoted? How can I get, how can I make the boss notice me or whatever? No, the job of a leader is to forget all about his, your career and you concentrate fanatically on getting other people promoted. Your job as a leader is to get other people raises, to get other people promoted. And, and ironically, the better job you do at that, the faster you'll get promoted. You know, I came up in sales. I was actually in the cover of Selling Magazine at one point. And I found, and I, and I, learned, I was really good at it. And what I learned is the more successfully I forgot about my own product, forgot about my commission, forgot about my quota, and instead fanatically focused on helping my customer, the more sales I made. And, um, but, you know, and, and so and, and corporations that fanatically focus on customers and forget about profits become very profitable. So it's all about about uh, being selfless. And I make a big case in Business Secrets of Trappist Monks for why we all really want to be selfless. We go to the movies and we go and we spend billions of dollars to watch heroes, be, you know, the hero of the movie starts out as selfish, you know what, and by the end of the movie, he's selfless. It's the Mr. It's the Mr. Scrooge story, you know. Everybody's longing to be transformed. But there's three kinds of transformation. When a thirsty man drinks, he transforms his condition. When a poor man hits the lottery, he transforms his circumstance. But when Mr. Scrooge wakes up on Christmas morning, an utterly new man, he has experienced a transformation of being. And that's what we all want. And we go to the movies and we read books about people who have gone through these transformations. And that is an old marketing guy. We always used to say in business, don't, wait, don't pay any attention to what people say. Pay attention to what dollar votes pay, that they're spending their money on. And when I look at the world, I see all kinds. I see people spending billions of dollars 
to go to the movies and watch what Joseph Campbell called the hero's journey, of people going through this hero's journey. And the hero's journey can be boiled down to a journey from selfishness to selflessness. And the ultimate spiritual experience that we're talking about here, enlightenment or cosmic consciousness, is the death of the ego. It's the death and rebirth of experience that the, when the ego dies, that's the ultimate form of selflessness. Um, when you when you when you give up your your ego completely, and every single mystical tradition, whether it's Zen or yoga or or, or um, you know Sufism and Islam or it's Christian mysticism or uh, it's it's always the same thing that you have to surrender, you have to give up your your, your ego. They all agree. You know, they never meet each other. You know, St. John of the Cross in the 14th century um, uh, Spain knew nothing about Huang Po in 9th century China. But damn it, they're saying the exact same thing. <laughs> um, you know, you've got to die while living, as Jesus said. You've got to die. And that means the ego dies, not you physically. But the reason why it's so difficult to do is because it feels like you're dying. When the ego starts to die, it feels like you're literally dying. And so the ego, your self-preservation instincts kick in, and you fight like crazy. Um, you know that's why I say that no one can consciously surrender. You can no more consciously surrender than you can kill yourself by holding your breath. You know you can't commit suicide by holding your breath. Um, well, at some point in time, your 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 profound self-survival will kick in and make you breathe. So the ego has to be completely defeated before it's ready to give up. Unfortunately, that's what, you know, I said to a psychologist one time that I was working with, I said, why does it have to be so hard? And he said, because we insist on playing our games until the pain becomes so great we can't take it anymore. Hmm. So interestingly enough, a lot of great teachers just increase the pain. That's how they get you to surrender, by increasing the pain. That's why you always have Yoda in all these movies screaming, don't cry, do! Or you have Morpheus in the, in the Matrix beating the snot out of, out of uh, poor Neo or having him jump off buildings and do face plants and stuff. It's always the same thing. The teacher is the teacher's always you know, kicking butt and taking names. Um, we love it. We line up like crazy to watch these movies. But then, if you go to a, to a if they go to a teacher, then they all if the teacher doesn't isn't completely utterly nice to them all the time, then they walk away. It's the, it's the teacher's job to increase that the pain of, of of phoniness to the to the point where we can't take it anymore. We've got a great guest with us today. August Turrock joins us here on our big broadcast. Many people may view the pursuit of material success and spiritual enlightenment as conflicting goals. How do you reconcile these two aspects of your life, and what advice do you have for others who seek a similar balance, my man? That's a, that's a, that's a great question, and I really um, I, I wrote a lot about that in Business Secrets of Trappist Monks. You have to make your, you know, you know, you know, it's like my first Zen, Richard Rose was my first Zen master, and he said, it's not the prayer you say, it's the prayer you live. You know, spirituality is not a, a meditation technique. It's not a weekly yoga class. It's not going to church on Sunday. It's not something you compartmentalize. It's something you live every minute of every day. Um, and, uh, and so, and what happens is you could turn your business career 
uh, into a, a laboratory for, um, so for example, to me, it was profoundly important to me that I understand who, who I am. I mean, to me, so much of spirituality that is answering the question, who am I? And when I was in sales, for example, it gave me so much of an opportunity to study people and, and, and to learn what, you know, about human nature and to learn how I compared to other people and contrasted so that I could predict their behavior. And what made it really fascinating to me is, is that when you sit down in a, a, a study group or something, everybody's on their best behavior. And they say, what you, you know, that, that when, you're, when there's money on the line, <laughs> the real, the truth that tends to come out, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, it's like you do a survey and you say, hey, would you, if I did this, pro- make this product, will you buy? It? Oh, yes, I would definitely buy it. Then you make the product and say, nah, that's all right. So now the money, now you're asking for money. So that's the nice thing about money, and that's the nice thing about business that I liked about business is it flushes you, flushes you out, and it flushes your, your, uh, other people out. So you get to see the way people, you know, what's his name? Uh, David Brashears was the um, a great mountain climber, and he said the pressure of high-altitude mountain climbing reveals who you really are. That there's no time for nonsense or playing games. You, you become exactly who you are. And um, pressure doesn't just build character, it reveals character. So when I became an entrepreneur, for example, and I had to decide whether I was going to pay myself or I was going to pay my employees, then, you know, then you said, and now the rubber meets the road. There's no place to hide. You're going to, you know, you got to make these decisions. You're under pressure. Um, and most people treat spirituality as a way to escape from pressure. They want to you know, the, for example, nobody understands the whole, they use Zen as you know, Zen out, zone out, and just kind of relax and go with the flow. No, it means putting your ego under massive, uh, under pressure so that it, it, you, you reveal to yourself who you truly are. And it's a scary process because you, you're terrified that you're not going to like yourself. It, it, you're going to turn out that you're not a hero, that you're actually a coward. But if that's what you are, then, that's, then you got to be willing to, to, to face that. I was talking earlier on an interview that, that one of the early tests, when I was, um, I gave some talks here in uh, North Carolina, North Carolina State University, and four kids came up, four boys, came up and asked me to mentor them on, on spirituality. And I said, form a club, um, get metal, if you form a club on campus, they'll let you, you get a room, and if you have a room, I'll come over on Thursday nights and I'll mentor you or facilitate the meeting. No sooner did I do that, then I get a telephone call from an old friend of mine saying, "Oh, you got 150 million dollars, and we're going to I'm going to take United Press International back out of bankruptcy, and I'm putting the whole gang together to rattle off names of my old buddies from the MTV days and stuff in New York." He said, "We're going to have so much fun." He said, "I want you to be executive vice president. I'm going to pay you an obscene amount of money. I'm going to give you a car and everything you could possibly ask for, but you have to move to to Washington D.C." And I said, "Joe, I can't move to Washington D.C." He said, why? I said, because I just promised these four kids that I was going to mentor them on Thursday night. He said, what do you mean? He said, "He said we got five, if you, if you, whatever the hell it is you do on college campuses, we got a bunch of colleges up here, American University, you know, Georgetown, do, it, do whatever the hell you do up here. I said, I have a better idea, Joe. Move um, UPI to Raleigh. And he said, Molly will never go for it. That's his wife, Molly. I said, well, we got plenty of women down here. Um, and I turned that job down. And not only did it cost me that opportunity, 
But the word got on the street that I was kind of a spirit, uh, religious nut and wouldn't move and blah, blah, blah. And that was the end of my career. So, but to me, when, if you're going to live the life, if you're going to talk the talk, you got to walk the walk. And when you make a commitment and you make a promise, and you, a, a spiritual promise to help people on a spiritual path, then you've got to be willing to turn, you know, to, to, to follow through. And when I look back over that, everything that's great that's happened ever since came from that decision. Because that's why I became an entrepreneur. And then I became a super successful entrepreneur. And then I, all these college kids were the ones that turned me on to Nefkin Abbey. One of my college students went to Nefkin Abbey. He turns me on to it. It did not less than everything. I tell the story. And later on, it was my college students that browbeat me into entering the Templeton Prize, Templeton Contest, that where I won $100,000. As a matter of fact, I was trying. I only had a few days to bang out this essay, and I'm not getting anywhere. And, I, and one of the students said, "Well, why don't you write that story about Brother John? You're always telling us about it. Why don't you write up that story about Brother John?" I said, "Wow!" So the very idea, the very idea of entering the contest, and the idea for the actual essay, both came from these from these college students. And then in 2009, some kids uh, that, that were students of mine at Duke. And I did all this on a volunteer basis. I never was on the faculty at any of these universities or anything. And everybody said I was nuts. I'm thinking, wait, you know, God, you don't even get paid. You're not even on the faculty. You're putting up with these snot-nosed kids. Oh, what are you doing this for? There's nothing in it for you. you know? So in 2009, these kids called me up, and they, well, they're 25 by now, and they said, we're starting a company in New York. Can you come up and help us? I go up there. They said, listen, we really need your help, but we don't have any money. And I said, I'll just pay my expenses and give me some stock. And so I worked for like three months for these guys, helped them out, came home, thought the stock would never be worth anything. Five years later, they go public for $1.2 billion. The stock's $28 a share. I, got, I made several million dollars for three months' work because service and selflessness, because I didn't expect anything to happen. I never expected anything to come back from my work with those college students. You know, it was the right thing to do. And you have to live that kind of life. And if you're living that kind of life in your business and you treat your customers that same way and you treat your employees that same way, not only are you going to be successful, but you're not going to find any conflicts between your spiritual life. You'll see in your, in your, in your business all kinds of opportunities to, to, to live your spiritual principles. Yeah, so there's going to be a cost involved. You know, Sometimes there's going to be a cost involved. Um, but every time I've made those decisions, um, and went contrary to the smart play or what everybody what everybody else would do in the same situation. It always paid off tremendously for me. But it takes faith. You got to you know you got to have the faith to, to live that kind of life. Um, and it's very important that you have that you form a community. You, you either belong to a church or form a community or put a group together. But it's really really difficult to swim against the tides. Of, swim upstream all by yourself. It's like getting to the gym. You're much better off if you got three or four buddies that go to the gym with you every day than if you try to go to the gym by yourself. But the vast majority of people even say that they're doing a spiritual path. They're doing it all by themselves. It's, it's folly. It's an, I always say, you know, the, the old saying is the, the patient who treats, the doctor who treats himself has a fool for a patient. You know, the person who, who, is there, who has a self-directed spiritual path has a fool for a guru. You need other people. You need teachers. You need mentors. You need to, you know. And, it, and if it sounds like it's a lot of work, it is a lot of work. If it, so, if it sounds like it takes sacrifices, yes, it does take sacrifices. 
And that's also what not less than everything my book's about. It shows you, it illustrates the sacrifices I did make and the mistakes I made and all that stuff. But now I look back at it all and I say, even, I'm even grateful for my mistakes because I have no idea, um, you know, I wouldn't want to take one of the bricks out of the wall because that might be the, that might be the secret to the whole, the having this, such a happy ending to it. Uh, um, does any of this make sense to you? Oh yeah, we we are just we are just having a heck of a time here with August Turok. He's the author of the brand new book, Not Less Than Everything, and he joins us today here on our big broadcast, coast to coast, border to border on iHeartRadio today. Also, AMFM247.com. Tune in iTunes, and you can find us on demand archived audio over there at uh, iHeartRadio, and of course, uh, TalkShoe. Your book touches on the importance of mentors and spiritual guides. Can you share some insights into the role of mentors in your own journey and how they have influenced your path? Absolutely essential. You know, and as I said, I dedicated my book to my parents as my first teachers who instilled in me not only the, 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 the passion for education and, and for learning, but what is but it's always been in every area of my life. I go looking for mentors and teachers, um, whether it's a writing coach that helped me with brother, uh, this book or, or my personal trainers or, or whoever. And, um, you know, and you got to go looking for them. But most importantly, when you, when you do find one for, you know, I, I don't want to swear here for, for the love of Mike, listen to the guy. Don't argue with him all the time. I wrote an article for Forbes called uh, Are You Coachable? The Five Steps of Coachability. And I lamented that, so, that the vast majority of Americans are fundamentally uncoachable. And I talked about how when I, when I, was, I started with, a, with a, another story where I was, um, my golf game, I had to, it just blew up. I was terrible. I, mean, I was shooting like 120. And I made a decision that I was either going to give up the game or I had to get lessons. And I found this pro, and he was the, just off the PGA Tour, and what I said is that, is that everything he asked me to do in the beginning felt wrong. You know, and anybody who's ever taken up the game of golf, by this time I at least knew about the grip and everything, but the very first day, is you learn, first thing you learn is the grip. And, and, it, and it feels like I couldn't possibly hit anything with this, holding on to this club like this. It feels completely unnatural. And everything my pro tried to get me to do in the beginning felt completely unnatural. You know, and meanwhile, he's telling me, I want to give you a spontaneous, natural, effortless, repeatable, all these words, golf swing. And I lost 25 pounds working with him um, to get to easiness. That's why the, the title of my book is Not Less Than Everything. And the reason I to- chose that is because T.S. Eliot in his poem, Four Quartets, says, um, you know, he never comes out and says, my definition of spirituality is, but that's fundamentally what he's saying. It's a condition of complete simplicity, costing not less than everything. So to get to simplicity is not the same as simple-mindedness. Simplicity takes an enormous amount of, of effort, and you've got to be willing to go against the grain. So you got to trust. I trusted the teacher, and I kept working. And one day, he even the first time he ever, we became friends eventually, but first time he ever said anything informally to me was, Augie, I enjoy working with you. Whatever I ask you to do, you give me 150%. You wouldn't believe how many guys come out here and pay me for 100 bucks for a 30-minute lesson, and all they do is argue with me. 
He said they don't want to change it. He said they just want to put a patch on it so they can, you know, they can win a bet on Saturday. He said, um, and and that was tremendous. I've never forgot that. It was a tremendous compliment. And um, so, but then you work and work and work on things that feel completely foreign. And, and then one day you have your epiphany. You go, oh, my God. You hit the ball 250 yards straight down the pipe. And you say, oh, now I know what he was talking about. Now I understand. You, you know, Kierkegaard said, the problem with life is you can only, we ha- you have to live forward, but only understand it backwards. And, and that's the way it is with teachers. You've got, to, you've got to go into it with a willing suspension of disbelief. Do what the teacher tells you to do. Don't argue with him. And, you know, and give it a fair chance because he can't explain to you, you know, what, you know, where he's trying to, you know, he can't give you the, he can't give you the back of the book answer. You've got to experience it. You've got to go there. Um, you know, in the same way that a golf pro can't explain to you exactly what he wants you to do. He has to get you to feel the golf swing. So this is what so I saw again and again and again on my path, that I'd have these great teachers and I'd see other people coming up. Um, and, you know, and they would, in the first time, they said, he said something to them or asked them to do something that, that, you know, didn't make sense to them or, you know, didn't feel right to them. They're gone. And they would squander so much great opportunities to work with, um, with, with really wonderful guys. So, um, you know, that's the most important thing. Yes, you need teachers. You need to get out. It astounds me how many people wouldn't think, wouldn't begin to try and, uh, um, you know, uh, medicate themselves or, 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 you know, that we go out and, and pay for everything. Um, we pay for, we even pay for personal trainers and we pay for people to help us with our diets and we pay for, and then when it comes to spirituality, I'll do that all myself. The most important thing is your spirituality. You're willing to pay a personal trainer, but you're not going to spend, you're not going to work with a with a spiritual guide with a with a spiritual teacher. I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, but there it is. We have got August Turok with us today. He joins us live here on our big broadcast. August Turok, successful corporate executive, entrepreneur, award-winning author, speaker, consultant. He, of course, has written an incredible book here, Not Less Than Everything. It's a brand-new book, and he joins us today here on our big broadcast. We have had a uh, solid, solid interview here and an insightful and engaging interview with August Turok about his brand-new book and his unique journey. So spirituality can be deeply personal and subjective experience. How do you hope that your book will resonate with readers who come from diverse backgrounds and belief systems. Well, first of all, what you'll see in my book is a diverse background and, and belief system. You know, I, I work with a Zen master. I go to work with Catholic monks. I, I work with a psychologist who was, uh, who was one of the people that was doing research into LSD, and he, I became his. I worked, um, one of the things I actually could have mentioned is that when I used to travel around the country on my searching, I'd go to bookstores in different cities and I'd ask the owners, who are the, you know, who are the smartest people in town? Who can, re- who can you recommend to me that might teach me something about life? And when I was in Washington, D.C., um, a bookstore owner sent me to this man, Lewis Mobley, and I went out and the guy turned out to be this very deeply spiritual uh, guru, but he also happened to have been the 
guy that started the IBM Executive School and ran it from 1956 to 66 and churned out all the executives that turned IBM into the most admired corporation in the fastest growing and most admired corporation in the world in the 60s and 70s. And I ended up moving into his house and becoming his protege. And every day, every morning, I would meet and study with him, and he would teach me. And in the afternoons, I would hustle up clients for him. Um, so there's very, very diverse um, teachers and things like that. But there is a, there is a, uh, it's not just different strokes for different folks, because I maintain that there is only one path, and that anybody can help you be transformed from a selfish to a selfless person. That's authentic spirituality, you know. Um, and uh, and anybody that says, you know, seek and ye shall find, um, that's authentic. Uh, that's that's common to all the teachers and all the traditions. And then the other thing is self knowledge. Know thyself. It's common to every tradition. You got to know yourself. You've got to be deeply, deeply, you know, intro, introspective and know yourself. And that's common to everybody. I, and the, after I had my profound spiritual experience that I mentioned earlier that has cured me of my depression, et cetera, I started, I, it took me a year to recover from it, and I was working with a psychologist locally just to quote-unquote process the experience. And one day I was crying in his office, as usual, from gratitude, and I said, David, this is all grace, all grace. I could never have done anything that would have earned for me what God gave me. And he said to me, yes, it is all grace. But you asked for it. You spent your entire life asking for it. What happened to you is not the kind of thing that happens to an ordinary person on their way to the store to buy a quart of milk. And so what's common to all of these, you know, it's like the old um, adage, in the old Zen story, where the Zen, the, he says, give me the, the Zen student says to the master, what is the secret to Zen, master? So the master walks the student out into the a river, and he grabs him by the head, and he holds his head under the water for a full minute. And finally, he lets the kid up, and the kid's choking, <laughs> and gasping for air. And he says, when you want the truth as much as you wanted air, you'll get it instantly. <laughs> and that's common to, that's common that to every awesome. spiritual tradition. So, you know, there's no way of escaping that. You've got to want the truth more than anything else. So, so in, in one sense, my book is full of all these diverse experiences you'll hear about stuff about me at M MTV and um, uh, all this kind of stuff uh, and all these different teachers from different traditions and things like that. But the one thing they all agreed on was <laughs> you've got to want the truth more than anything else. You've got to live the life. You've got to, you've got to, you know, you've got to, you, your whole life has got to be a prayer. I asked my Zen teacher um, back when I was you know, 19, 20 years old, I said, what do you think of prayer? And he said, make your life a prayer, and it'll be answered instantly. It took me 30 years to do that. But when, the, when it finally got to the point where I'd made my life a prayer, it was answered instantly. So, um, so that's where, how you have, the, you, have, you have diversity, but you also have um, unity within that. So it's not just anything goes, if you know what I mean. That is awesome. We've got August Turok with us today. He's a successful corporate executive, entrepreneur, award-winning author and speaker and consultant. And he joins us today here on our big broadcast. His book, Business Secrets of the Trappist Monks, uh, uses a thousand years of Trappist business success on his own entrepreneurial experience. 
He's written an incredible book, Brother John, a Monk, a Pilgrim in the Purpose of Life. It combines a $100,000 Templeton Prize-winning story. It is amazing. And uh, his latest book, Not Less Than Everything, and uh, he joins us today here on our big, big broadcast. So your book is described as a memoir, but it also offers insights and lessons for readers. What are some of the key takeaways or lessons that you hope readers will gain from reading Not Less Than Everything? to start to, to start on their own spiritual quest yeah I mean I think we're living we're living in a dystopic um, world where uh, people are quote unquote you know to use a cliche looking for love in all the wrong places and so I'm hoping that um, by looking by taking the ride with me and and seeing um, that they'll share some of the insights that I that I established and that they'll see that there is a spiritual reality. They'll sense it. They can't, you know, they can't necessarily see it from a book, but you maybe intuit it. It's kind of like when I was reading books like Siddhartha by Herman Hesse when I was a kid, or or uh, some of the other books like the Don Juan books or stuff that I read when I was young that inspired me to say, wait a second, you know, if uh, maybe there is something to this. Maybe there's something more to life than just, you know, as T.S. Eliot said, uh, birth copulation in one of his other poems. He said, birth copulation and death. Birth, copulation, and death. Those are the facts when you come to brass tacks, both copulation and death. Is that all there is? Um, and I think a lot of people are, are, are looking around and saying, especially in you know, the midlife crisis, that's the, that's the theme of the midlife crisis. You know, I've been there. I've done that. I've had, I've had some success. I, you know, I have a decent car. I got a, you know, but something's missing. Something profound is missing. And I hope that I help people to put their finger on what it is that is missing, and I hope that it provides something of a template or a blueprint or, you know, this is what worked for me. Um, this, is, this, is what, this is what being a seeker is like. This is what is required. This is the benefits and this is the responsibilities and this is what it sacrifices. They're all in there. And um, so, uh, I, you know, I think that it's, uh, and so far the results, I mean, I've been hit people who <laughs> the book only just came out last week, but some people bought a pre-order, and they got it maybe a week or so earlier than that. Um, and uh, and shell shock is what people communicate in a positive way. Of shell shock, just really, um, you know, having a profound reaction to the book. Oh, I wanted to mention, by the way, James, that yes, um, right now we're offering the book on my website, augustturek.com, for fifty percent off. So it's a $29.99 retail on Amazon, but we're offering it for $15, 50% off. And that would be August, like the month, Turek, P is in Tom, U-R-A-K, dot com. That's August Turek, one word, August, T-U-R-A-K. And also, Amazon is running a promotion, right now, a limited-time promotion, so you can get the electronic version of Not Less Than Everything on Amazon for $0.99. Cents. That's a ten dollar value. So that's a ninety percent discount. So uh, they're really pushing. Amazon's really pushing the book hard right now. That's awesome. So um, that's a couple of opportunities for your listeners to get the book on the cheap. You know, August Turok with us today. He joins us live. Not less than everything is the latest 
from him. And he joins us today here on our big, big broadcast. So can you share any future projects or endeavors that you're working on, whether they relate to your spiritual journey or your entrepreneurial background? Well, I have a nonprofit corporation. Um, we're in the process of changing it from the Self-Knowledge Symposium Foundation to the August Turex Foundation. And and the, the mission of the my foundation is to help people find higher meaning and purpose in a world that so many people find bereft of higher meaning and purpose. And all of the money that I make from my consulting, my book royalties, my lecturing, whatever I do, goes into my, I donate to charity. So I don't make a, as my old Zen teacher used to say, um, if you're in the spiritual racket, he said you shouldn't eat off the altar. So I don't accept any money personally for any of my, my spiritual work that I do. And so that's a very important part of my life. So I do lecturing and talking, and, and I travel. And, and I was in Spain, for example, last year, giving several talks over there. Um, and, uh, and that keeps me, I'm 71 years old, so I, I keep about as busy as I want to keep. I also have a 75-acre farm that keeps me, that keeps me humping. But my, all I really live for anymore is to help other people find what I found. To share what I to, to find, and I mean, I don't have the words. I wish I did. I have the problem all mystics have. There's no words for it, but it is a unbelievable. There's so there's an unbelievable reality out there waiting for you. And somehow or another, I just you know, like the old Beatles song, I'd love to turn you on. <laughs> and, and that's all I want to do is I just want to turn people on. Um, and. Uh, I'm doing the best I can to do that, and that's that's all I really care about. Well, that is awesome. Well, we have got a great guest with us today. He joins us live here on our big program. And you are absolutely amazing, my friend. I really appreciate you making time for us today. Thanks for coming on and chatting. Uh, your book is absolutely amazing. Check out augustturok.com. And uh, August, I really appreciate you making time, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, my man. Well, great questions, by the way. Really well. I'm very, very impressed. Thank you very much. It's been a privilege. Well, you are fantastic, and I hope to do this again. Thank you, brother. God bless. Bye-bye. Appreciate it, man. There he goes. That is August Turok. We are going to take a brief time out. When we come back, we will wrap things up here. It is a world Chicky Chick Yo, get it right twisted. This rush is mine. Mother start of game. What you heard is what you hearing. What you hearing? What you hearing? Listen. It's what you hearing. Listen. It's what you hearing. Listen. X go give it to you. Wait for you to get it on your own. X go deliver to you. Knock, knock, open up. If your credit card bills have gotten out of hand, call Consolidated Credit now. If the interest rates on your credit cards are so high, it'll take years to get out of debt. Call Consolidated Credit now. They've helped over 10 million people. Without destroying your credit, they can reduce your interest rates, lower your total payments up to 50% to get you out of debt fast. For a free consultation, call Consolidated Credit now. The program works. Call 800-435-1899. 800-435-1899. 800-435-1899. 
Consolidated Credit Solutions Incorporated, 5701 West Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33313. Licensed by the New York Department of Financial Services and by the Vermont Department of Financial Regulation. Kansas CSO 0019051. Maryland DM 1492. Oregon DM 892. Licensed by the Virginia State Corporation Commission License Number DC83. Service may adversely affect the individual's credit. Non-payment of debt may lead to additional finance charges or collections activity, including legal action. Actual interest rates, length of program, and monthly payment reductions will vary by consumer and creditor. Yours could be higher or lower. Not a loan company. We do not lend money. If you have ever thought about remodeling your bathroom but were worried it would take too long or cost too much, then stop worrying. Right now, Jacuzzi Bath Remodel has designed a collection of high-quality custom products and perfected the one-day remodeling experience so you can enjoy your new bathroom faster than ever before. It's a worry-free bath remodel from the most trusted brand name in the business, Jacuzzi. A jacuzzi bath system fits in your existing tub space. It's a no-mess installation with an amazing style selection, factory-certified installers, and a limited lifetime warranty. Call 800-763-8517. That's 800-763-8517. Right now and get 50% off installations with no interest and no payments for 12 months. Replace that old bathtub today with a walk-in shower for a safer bathing experience. If you have lived in your home for over 15 years, it's time to remodel your bathroom. For a virtual or in-home appointment, call 800-763-8517. That's 800-763-8517. 800-763-8517. Attention people with Medicare and anyone turning 65. Are you enrolled in the best Medicare plan available? The average Medicare beneficiary has a choice of 54 Medicare plans, 766 Medicare Part D prescription drug plans, and a record 3,834 Medicare Advantage plans. How do you know you have the right plan? Simple. Call 800-991-7014. That's 800-991-7014. The service is free. You may find a plan with a $0 monthly premium, $0 co-pays, and $0 deductible. Don't gamble. Speak to a licensed agent to find out which plan is right for you. Call 800-991-7014. That's 800-991-7014. 800-991-7014. And let Best Med Care do the work for you. 